All right. Uh, good morning. And uh, yeah, uh, before uh, uh, I begin, I just wanted to highlight uh, we brought little uh, bookmarks. Just little with it's a little bookmark with a, a little picture about life in the Philippines. And our kids are going to pass them around now. So make sure you get one. Um, and Sandy, you come. So, all right. Um, So, we are the Luciano family. Here's our picture. Uh, That is uh, my wife, Sandy. And next to her is Trevor, uh, who is 10. Right in front of Trevor is Noah, who is 8. The baby is Samuel, who is uh, 17 months. And holding Samuel in this picture is Jacob, who is 12, our oldest. Uh, This picture was actually taken in our... Uh, in our house in, in, in the, that we rent in the Philippines. And so like we said earlier, uh, this week, actually eight years ago, was when we uh, moved out to the Philippines. Uh, we got sent out the Sunday before, and then uh, midweek we flew out to the Philippines, and we arrived in the Philippines on May 1st of 2014. Um, and like it says, uh, I serve at the Expositors Academy, which is a member of the Masters Academy International, TMAI. But just to kind of give a little bit more uh, personal background, I just wanted to share a little bit about my testimony. So as uh, Lauren mentioned, uh, both my wife and I are, are homegrown. Uh, this, was our, this has been our home church. Um, so I got saved uh, during my last uh, quarter at UCLA uh, when I was in college. Uh, prior to that, like most Filipinos, I'm Filipino. I was born in the Philippines. My family moved here when I was 15. Uh, and like most Filipinos, I grew up from a Catholic family, uh, and uh, the Lord used the witness of, of, of several of my college friends to, to uh, draw me to himself, uh, and I got saved through the uh, Navigators Bible Study, Navigators Ministry at UCLA. Um, so this was around April 2000, and uh, not... Long after that, I started attending this church. Uh, a couple of my college friends uh, went to Grace on Campus and, and attended uh, Grace Community. And then uh, about a year later was when I became a member uh, of Grace Church. And uh, uh, yeah, and it was at this church that, uh, so that was around 2001 that I became a member. Uh, it was around 2004 that I met the gal who would become my wife, Sandy. And so I'll let her share a little bit about her testimony. Hello. So I was born um, Southern California, Torrance. Um, I grew up in Aguadulce, um, a little bit north of Santa Clarita. And um, I grew up in a Christian home, um, going, we went to church on Sundays. Um, we were very, we played a lot of sports, so we played a lot of soccer. So our family, soccer became what we did. So um, I was never involved in church, but I would go on Sundays. If there was a game, soccer took precedence. Um, so I grew up going to church. I knew the gospel. When I was six years old, um, in Sunday school, they said, okay, everybody, all your kids, put your head down, you know, cover your eyes, and if you haven't asked Jesus into your heart, raise your hand, right? So I'm like, oh, I haven't done that. So I raised my hand, and 
And they said, do you want to be saved? Sure. So I said the sinner's prayer. They gave me a little card that had my name and the date, and I kept that card. I was six years old. And so um, I always wanted to please and obey, so I was a very good kid. Um, And it wasn't until college. I was going to College of the Canyons, and um, a friend of mine was attending the COC Bible study through Crossroads. And so they invited me to attend the Bible study, and that was something I always wanted because I just observed church from the outside. Um, So this is great. I've always wanted to have friends in church. So uh, I started going to the COC Bible study all for social reasons, and they were going through the doctrine of election, and I had never heard of that. Uh, My own personal theology was uh, I was not depraved, but that I was better than most people. Uh, The part of the gospel that always confused me was the part that you're a sinner. So I knew I was supposed to be a sinner because it was part of the gospel message, but I couldn't tell you what my sin was because I thought I was better than most people. The people in jail, I thought deep down inside, they're really a good person. So it was through uh, this series on the doctrine of election that I was like, what? People are depraved? God had to choose me? And... um, So it was through that that I got saved, and I realized um, I was a sinner. And so then I got plugged into Grace Church, started going to um, Crossroads, and um, here we are. Yeah. And yeah, so so like I said, so I... uh... Uh, this was my home church, uh, and started seminary. I started working at Grace Community School. Uh, if you remember Grace Community School, uh, back in 2002, I became the computer lab teacher there. Uh, worked there through 2008. Uh, started seminary 2004. Uh, graduated 2009. Uh, took us a few years to raise support to get to the field. So I worked at Children's Hunger Fund for a little bit, uh, maintaining their website. Uh, and then, yeah, 2014, we were sent to the Philippines. And as we've uh, gone to the Philippines, been living there, uh, we homeschool our children. And particularly in the last few years, uh, Sandy has accumulated some resources uh, to teach our kids about Philippine history. And so we're going to do a quick uh, run-through of uh, Philippine history uh, through art that uh, uh, Sandy has collected. Okay, so when they gave us some ideas of talking points, one of them was give an overview of like history or culture. And so we've done a lot of art studies, and, I, and a lot of them has to do with their history. So I've tried to collect some to give you just something to look at as we talk about. So um, pre-colonial Philippines. So the Philippines was a colony of Spain for 300 years from like 1521 to like end of the 1800s. And, um, and so before, before the Spanish came in the 1500s, you had different people groups. Um, the Philippines are descendants of the Malay people who came over from um, Southeast Asia, Malaysia. Um, they would travel in wooden boats, um, a balangay, um, And that boat was, they would come in their family units and settle on the different islands. Um, One of the people groups that, because you have 7,000 islands, so there's lots of islands. So you're going to have different people groups in different areas. 
the Manila, where that's located today, the people group in that area were the Tagalog people, which is also the language. The Tagalog language is one of their main dialects. And so Tagalog means Taga Iglug, so from the river. So there's this big river that goes through Manila that helped shape the Manila area. And so they were the people group that was from the river. And, um, and today the two main languages are Tagalog and English. So, um, so you have these people that came over and you have the things. And then in the 1500s, you had the age of exploration and Fernando Magellan landed in the Philippines and he acquired it for Spain. So this is a, the blood compact uh, where uh, it was from one of the ruling people um, of the Philippines make, going into agreement with Legaspi, um, who was a representative from Spain, and this is when they became a colony of Spain. Um, with the arrival of the Spaniards came Catholicism. Um, so here is a picture depicting the first mass of the Philippines. Um, and here's another one with the first cross wet they brought. So they brought Catholicism. So Catholicism, um, as other parts of the world, kind of intermingled with the religion they already had. The previous religion would have been animism, so just belief in the God, in the sun god, the moon god, the, the tree spirit. So it kind of mixed, and you, you got like a slightly different Catholicism that's local in the Philippines. Um, So then they became a colony of Spain. Um, This picture is supposed to be, the girl in the red dress is supposed to represent Spain, and the blue dress is supposed to represent the Philippines. So for 300 years, they're a colony of Spain. So Spain influenced, um, obviously, the religion. The majority of the religion today is Catholicism. Um, It influenced the last names. It's why my husband is uh, Filipino and not Italian. (laughs) So in, um, in the 18, mid-1800s, the Spanish were like, oh, there's, how do we keep track of all these people? They don't have last names, who's who? And so they went through and they came out with a decree um, of giving surnames. And um, it said that they actually went by cities. So, okay, this city here, let's give them the last names. All starts with A, then we'll go over here, they'll get B last names, they'll get C last names. So... That's how a lot of Filipinos will have Spanish-sounding last names. So they influenced some of the food and the culture um, and the architecture. You had the galleon trade that was from Manila to Mexico. Um, and then you have the revolution. So the revolution was 1896 to 1898, just two years. Um, so they, a group of people, a people group started to try to break free from the Spanish influence. Um, this is a picture of Jose Rizal, one of the national heroes in his martyrdom. Um, so this is the same time, of, so the Spanish-American War, when the America won the Spanish-American War, one of the agreements was that they would acquire the Philippines. So they got their independence, but the U.S. came in right after. So it wasn't very long. <laughs> So now the U.S. is there. Um, The U.S. was present. um, Well, here's, I'm going ahead of myself. So here I'm making the flag um, during the revolution. So the current flag. 
you can't see it too well, but there's a sun, and on the sun there's eight rays. So each ray represents one of the eight provinces that were part of the revolution. There's three stars, because there's three areas of the Philippines. You got the north, Luzon. You got the middle, which is all the tiny islands, uh, Visayas. And then the bottom, which is mostly a big island, uh, Mindanao. So those are the three stars. Um, so, okay, so incomes in the U.S. When the, so the U.S. was there from the end of their revolution, um, 1898, until 1946. They brought the English language. English is one of the other two main dialects. Because um, if you remember, you have all these islands and you have different tribes. There's um, eight major dialects. And so when you travel to the various islands, sometimes English will be better to use than Tagalog because Tagalog was mostly from the people in the capital. So some of the other islands, um, English will be a better way to communicate than Tagalog. Um, And so it brought the English language. um, And so now you have World War II. World War II, um, Japan occupied the Philippines. So here's um, Rizal in ruins, one of the area. Uh, just the aftermath, it was a very difficult time. Um, very, there was a, it was a very hard and brutal rule. One of the tragedies that came out during World War II was the Bataan Death March. So this was... Um, oh, so April 9, 1942... So April in the Philippines is the middle of their summer. So our springtime is their hottest time of year. When we get our summer, it'll be their uh, typhoon season. So you get a lot of um, storms that help cool it down. So this is really hot. People, so they had different um, prisoners of war, and they were moving them from one camp to another because it was, it was looking like uh, they were going to lose. And so they made... I have some number here. 76,000 prisoners of war march um, uh, March 66 miles. At the end of the 66 miles, only 54,000 were alive. Um, 66,000 were Filipinos and 10,000 were Americans that walked in this death march. Um, so it's one of their national ho- holidays as well to remember this. Um, and this is depicting that. Um, So then, um, uh, just, these are just different collection of different parts of their culture. Um, This is one of my favorites. So, uh, Bayani Han is, uh, so it's this idea, that term is like an idea of, um, of community. So it refers to the aspect of the Filipino culture of working together as a community rather than an individual to achieve a common goal. Um, and I was told some places in the provinces would do this. So this is an example. This is their Bahai Kubo, their little hut that is on stilts because of the rain. And if you needed to move, the whole community would come together and help you move. And they'll pick up your house and physically move it to another area. They'll help, they'll help carry your luggage and all your stuff and help transport you. Um, so you can see that. They're very, very much of a community as opposed to individual. individual. Um, 
So it's one of their traits I admire. Um, it's a very fun culture with lots of laughter and enjoyment of one another. So this is just one of their child's games that kids will play. Um, it translates to jumping over fish bones. So you put your hands up and then try to jump over it. Uh, this They have different um, traditional dances. And so one of the dances is the tnickling. They use bamboo poles and they kind of, you jump in and out of the bamboo poles as you dance. And it's supposed to mimic um, a bird that kind of um, dances the same way. So another, they enjoy, they have festivities and they like to celebrate things. Um, this picture is from my, my boys. <laughs> so they do cockfighting over there. <laughs> so, uh, so this uh, depicts one of their things. Um, it's legal on Sundays, Sundays. <laughs> a form of gambling. <laughs> so, um, and um, another one, they're very hardworking people. So just a depiction of them planting rice. That's one of their famous volcanoes in the background, the Mayon uh, volcano, because it's very traditional looking. Um, and there you go. Just kind of a brief overview. Yeah, so uh, with that overview of the Philippines, I'll just uh, talk a little bit more about the ministry now. Uh, so as Sandy mentioned, there is over 7,000 islands uh, grouped into three major groups, uh, Luzon in the north, Visayas in the middle, Mindanao in the south. Uh, and these 7,000 islands, even though that's a big number, uh, the joke is that it, it, it changes, the, the exact number changes depending on the, the, whether it's high tide or low tide. Uh, so some of these islands are, are very small, and um, um, the um, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. But um, so we conduct training uh, for, for for pastors and church leaders uh, throughout the country, uh, and our ministry is really summed up. Uh, by this verse, Second Timothy two two, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, the and that's basically what we're doing, right? Uh, I've been blessed to have been uh, to call Grace Community Church as my home church, and over the years, uh, many pastors, many men have have invested in me, uh, Bible study leaders to pastors, right, fellow church members, uh, professors at the seminary. And what they have uh, taught me, I'm now looking to, to pass on to men who can pass it on uh, even further. Uh, and so we have two main programs that, that we are currently running. One is uh, Biblical Studies, which is kind of like a, kind of comparable to the Lagos uh, Grace Equip ministry here at Grace Church. It's a Bible institute that's open to any Christian. Uh, and the courses that we offer in this program are kind of core courses that, that any believer would, would benefit from. How to study the Bible, uh, Bible survey, doctrine survey, right? Um, basic truths that, that, that any Christian would, would, would benefit from. Uh, and, uh, but, certain, uh, but, in, but this program has, has served to be a, uh, a feeder program to our next program, which is uh, our expository preaching program. Uh, but it also has helped us uh, influence congregations. One of our church partners, uh, 
very like-minded pastor. He says he appreciates our biblical studies program because it's an opportunity for his congregation to hear the same truths, but coming from someone else. And so he appreciates uh, uh, how um, he feels like you know he, the, the congregation isn't he- just hearing it from him. Other other like-minded believers believe and, and teach the same things too. Um, and so. Um, he has served as a, as a feeder to our preaching program, uh, opportunity to influence uh, congregations. is also an opportunity for us to, it's also been uh, one of the main ways that we have uh, promoted our ministry is through the Biblical Studies program. Because as we, uh, we don't have our own campus, uh, we conduct our classes through church partners. So we would uh, partner with a uh, like-minded church, we would find like-minded partners, church partners, uh, and run our classes through them, uh, conduct our classes through their facilities, and for the most part, they would be the ones who would uh, recruit students for us uh, and get the word out. Uh, so it's a true partnership between us and, 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 and partner churches. And, and through our biblical studies, as one church is blessed uh, through this program, they would uh, share the news uh, to to other churches in their denomination, in their uh, church networks. Um, and so we've kind of, uh, our ministry has grown through this uh, as, as more and more churches has, have, have gone through our biblical studies program. The other program that we have is our expository preaching program, which is uh, focused uh, for pastors, uh, either current pastors or men who are uh, seriously considering a call to ministry. Uh, and it equips men. Uh, to preach the word, uh, the course is the the program is divided according to uh, the different genres of scripture. So we have classes on how to preach uh, epistles, how to pre- preach uh, narrative, how to preach uh, poetry and wisdom literature, and how to preach prophecy. And we also uh, include uh, uh, we also address um, kind of key theological issues uh, for, for 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 pastors in in that program. Um, and, and yeah, so we have partners throughout the country. Uh, it's been a blessing for us to actually not have our own uh, campus because it has really uh, made us uh, fully partners, fully invested and engaged with, with a, a small number of, of like-minded churches. Uh, so we have uh, key partners in towards the north in the Bag. Baguio is uh, kind of like the, the mountainous area to the north of the country. Uh, we have a couple of partners in, in Manila. Uh, we have a, a church partner also in Cebu, the middle of the country. Cebu is where Magellan landed, uh, where he planted his cross. Uh, and uh, we also have uh, uh, church partners in, in Mindanao, uh, a couple of them. One in the city of General Santos. If you're a boxing fan, that's Manny Pacquiao's hometown. Uh, but also in the city of Davao, where it, which is the hometown of the current president. If you are familiar with Devraj and Tracy Ers, they are in the city of Davao, so southern part of, of, of the country. And yeah, it's just been a blessing to, to be able to, to live this out, 2 Timothy 2.2. I remember as a new believer... Uh, before I had any inkling about going to seminary, I would pray very frequently uh, that God would send master seminary graduates to, to minister in the Philippines. Uh, and many years later, uh, I'm one of them. Uh, and so it, it's been a great privilege 
to be to be part of this ministry. Um, and so, um, just quick mention about how things change about, with with COVID. Uh, so, for the last couple of years, uh, the, the COVID restrictions in the Philippines has has in in Asia in general, even. Uh, as a lot of our missionaries were here for Shepherd's Conference, I got to speak with um, a lot of the missionaries in Asia. It seems that our region has been a lot tighter than, with, with regard to restrictions than, 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 than most. Um, for the last couple of years, minors and seniors have really been limited to the home. So for the last, the last two school years have all been uh, uh, all online. Uh, and... Yeah, uh, so our youngest, Sam, he was born in the Philippines in uh, November of 2020, and the first year of his life is very different from the second year of his life, which is here, because over here we were, we were able to travel uh, and everything, and so our kids uh, are having a blast while they're here, um, and so um, because of the COVID restrictions, we had to move our classes online. Uh, and that there, there was some challenges there, but there's also been some blessings. Um, um, more people have been able to partake of our classes who could not join us because of, uh, geographic restrictions being too far, but also the Lord has opened up international opportunities for our team. Uh, within the last couple of years, uh, myself and some of our team members have been working with pastors in uh, Myanmar in Indonesia, Malaysia, and even Pakistan um, uh, to, to, to train men. Uh, and a lot of these have been uh, working with some of our missionaries uh, in these countries. Uh, the one in Pakistan was interesting because um, that relationship happened when um, a pastor from Pakistan was in seminary in the Philippines. And while he was in the Philippines, he was attending one of our partner churches in Manila. That's how he got connected with us. And when he became... Uh, familiar with our training, uh, he was actually more favorable to bring our training to his country than the training he got from his seminary. So when he moved back to his country, um, he got us. He he worked with uh, Tim Carnes, uh, who is part of our team, uh, and and Tim and Devraj um, were teaching online, uh, some of these men from Pakistan, for about a couple of years. And then early this year, uh, Tim was actually able to fly out to Pakistan to, to run uh, preaching labs for them. Uh, and a lot of these, actually all of these international opportunities were completely unplanned by us. We had no idea uh, of, of that any of these would happen. Uh, but it's all from, from the Lord's, just opened it to us after the pandemic. So even though there have been some challenges with the pandemic, uh, there have been uh, many blessings as well. So that's just a, a brief overview of our ministry uh, and how we got there and a uh, little history about the Philippines. I want to leave some time for, we have about five minutes, ten minutes for a little Q&A. Uh, but before we do that, our last slide, if you would like to... Uh, Know more about our ministry, and if you are familiar with QR codes, you can just use your smartphone uh, and scan this with your QR scanner, and it'll take you to a form to, uh, uh, so you can uh, directly subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, but any questions about 
Anything? Yes, Alex. Okay. Okay, great. So how does the training work in different islands? So usually uh, we have our home base in Manila for us, uh, us and the Ransoms, and Devraj, uh, is he's based in Davao. So where we are based, uh, we uh, run weekly classes there, right, uh, with those churches. Uh, when we conduct classes in different cities, different provinces, different islands, we would do a one-week intensive course. So what would normally be covered in, say, eight to ten weeks in a weekly format, we would cover in one week in a span of three days meeting um, all day long. So we would do that, uh, yeah, a few times a year. So maybe two to three times a year for, for each group. So I used to, prior to the pandemic, I used to travel quite a bit, uh, Almost once a month, at least, uh, my family actually had a, began a routine of what they would do while I was gone. Um, so, but yeah, so that's kind of how we did. Usually, it's pretty easy. Usually, it would be within one island that that, that we would. Uh, uh, train so so the people would be local there so the uh, yeah part of the reason why we like this model is that it makes it very accessible for for guys to 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 come so somebody had a question yes ma'am mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah it's a good question. So, uh, so Catholicism has been there, yeah, since the 1500s, uh, and in God's providence, um, because the Philippines is Catholic, it's actually open to the gospel. Uh, because if you look at uh, our surrounding neighbors, uh, the countries south of us are all Muslim. Uh, the countries to the West and north of us are all uh, Buddhist. Uh, and because of the Catholic background of the Philippines, people aren't opposed to talking about Jesus. They aren't opposed to talking about the Bible. Uh, so it's uh, culturally, it's very open to the gospel. Uh, and it has been on the receiving end of missions activity since the beginning of the 20th century. So for over 100 years now. Um, and because there's blessings because of that, there's uh, all the denominations are, are, are represented there. But as you might also think, uh, conclude from that, a lot of the problems that you know the denominations here face are also making their way towards there. So basically, all, a lot of the trends from the American church, whether good or bad, uh, kind of make it make their way there too. Um, and just from my own personal observation. Uh, one of the bigger challenges that I'm seeing uh, among evangelical churches is um, just cultural Christianity, where people assume that because they grew up uh, attending an evangelical church that they are born-again believers. Uh, that coupled with kind of the honor-shame uh, aspect of the culture, so you kind of don't... Peop- uh, it's hard to ask the hard questions. It's kind of foreign 
to the culture to be asking the, the, the penetrating questions for, for accountability. Uh, and so to imply that someone may not be a true believer is like doubly offensive because not just that they're it, it's, it's offensive because they may not be genuine Christians, but it's culturally offensive because like, oh, you're saying I'm, I'm not really part of this group. Like the picture that, that Sandy showed earlier, the Bayanihan where everybody's helping uh, with the house, uh, there really is a strong community uh, spirit in, in the Philippines. And so one thing that as a, I, I serve as an elder at, at the church that we're part of, uh, when, we, when I conduct uh, membership interviews uh, for prospective members, uh, it's kind of the opposite problem here. Like here in the U.S., usually you, you want your, it's like pulling teeth getting attendees to become members, right? Over there, people will become a member at the drop of a hat. And so you, they want to be part of something, but we kind of have to make sure that, they're, that they are born again, that, that they're joining for the right reasons, not just because they want to be, uh, be part of this uh, be part of the community. So, uh, so yeah. So, uh, cultural Christianity, uh, you know, taking the faith for granted. Um, that's some of the uh, challenges facing the evangelical church. Uh, but yeah, but there are also there have been a lot of uh, uh, advances just in, in, in terms of uh, the openness of the gospel. In fact, uh, when. I was uh, when a lot a lot of our missionaries were here for Shepherd's Conference. I was uh, carpooling with a couple of them. One of our missionaries in India mentioned that, um, yeah, that the, the Philippines is the only open country in our region in the sense of actually granting uh, missionary visas. Uh, in a lot of the other countries in the region, it's either they've officially stopped it or it may not have been officially ended, but you just practically can't expect that the government would approve uh, someone applying for a missionary visa. So, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Uh, prior to the pandemic, no. <laughs> uh, the government, uh, the government, uh, the Filipinos are very religious. Uh, and so the government doesn't want to stifle anyone's religion. Uh, they don't want to get in the way, uh, typically. Uh, they want to be on good terms with everyone. Uh, and, and they typically have been respectful of, of different religious organizations. Um, changed a little bit with the pandemic. Uh, same challenges that... that, that, that that most churches here faced, right? Uh, when, when Caesar says something, the Bible says another who has authority. And so uh, churches in the Philippines there are, 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 are dealing with it. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Yes. Um. If you were to ask someone in the Philippines, they'd probably give a different answer. But my perspective, uh, I think the big picture problem that the Philippines is having politically is the growing influence of China. Uh, that's just, there's going to be uh, an election in the Philippines in a few weeks in May, sometime in May. By the time we get back, 
We're heading back to the Philippines uh, end of June. By the time we get back, there will be a new president. Uh, and so on Facebook, there's all these, you know, people are campaigning and, and sharing who they want to vote for and everything. Uh, but the thing that I'm noticing is like, well, what are people's, these candidates' real position on China? Because uh, even though... Like our, our team leader, Sean Ransom, his family, they were stuck here in the U.S. in 2020. For, they were only supposed to take a six-month furlough. It became a year furlough because they couldn't come back because of travel bans. During the pandemic, I don't think the Philippines ever imposed a travel ban between the uh, Philippines and China. So I was kind of joking with Sean, a backdoor way to get to the Philippines is if you can get to China, you can get to the Philippines because they, they, they never closed that. Um, I was speaking at a conference in the business district of Manila a couple of years ago, and I was surprised just the presence of, of Chinese nationals all throughout uh, the, the, the business district. I know that they're, um, they've kind of, you know how here in the U.S., a lot of online gambling and all that is hosted in like the Cayman Islands or something like that, just, just outside of the borders of the U.S.? Uh, They've kind of done that with online gambling and, and, and all that with, for China. A lot of that is served up in the Philippines. And so there's a lot of, these, uh, there's a lot of Chinese uh, companies that have, uh, are based in the Philippines right now. Uh, and yeah, it's just it's growing influ- there's, there's a growing influence uh, of, of China. And I think that whatever the domestic issues may be, I think the bigger threat, bigger issue would be. Yeah, that that's. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I've heard from a couple of church friends who are realtors. For example, like when uh, companies from China would buy condos, because in the in in the city, uh, pretty much the only the main uh, available houses for rent would be condos. Uh, when Chinese companies would buy, buy up condos. They would buy up like half a building at a time uh, or a whole floor at a time So and filling it with, it with their people. So, yeah, it is. Uh, uh, prior to all of this, historically, there has been a big Chinese population in the Philippines uh, just because of trade uh, in, in the region. Uh, but over the past few years, since a uh, tightening partnership between the Philippine government and Chinese government, they've been sending a lot of their workers uh, in the country. So maybe you have time for a last one? Yes, Glenna? Yeah, so thank, thank you for your history lesson. <laughs> that was fascinating. Uh, I've been to Rizal now. I know the same So um, you can pray for just opportunities for the kids because everything was shut down. So my kids just stayed inside until they got here in December 2021, right? They went out for an eye appointment or a dentist appointment once or twice, but that was it. And so um, so just it'll be almost like starting over again 
because things are starting to open. Some of the international schools are starting to meet as some of the first ones. So we had a little group of homeschoolers. So I'm not sure which ones will still be available or just to get back into life. Cause so in some ways when the pandemic happened as a missionary, it was, it was almost easier to stay at home because to go out of your home, you're going into the culture. You're going into the language. Everything's different. Your home is like your thing where everything's the same. So you kind of closed up. So I didn't have interaction with Filipinos. And part of the joy of the hardships of living there are the people, how warm they are and how loving. And the pandemic just like shut that all out. So I think when we go back, we'll have to kind of restart. Things are open. I'm not sure what's open since we haven't been there. So just all that, getting involved in people's lives again for the kids and family. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. There is a... um, Yes, they do have a vaccine mandate. Uh, Although right now, because... Uh, the cases of COVID is low. They're not enforcing it. But when, when it was high, it was, it was difficult if you weren't vaccinated. Um, so, yeah. Thank you, guys. And Alan, can you tell us generally offhand how many students you have in the programs? I want them to get a feel for how vast Okay, so f- I can speak for myself. Uh, the classes that I teach, I have a biblical studies class right now that has about 20 people. I have two sets of them. One has about 20. The other one has about a dozen. Uh, and then a, I have a preaching group that is, is smaller, uh, just about three men for that. Um, so the Devraj and one of our local guys, uh, Pastor Erwin Kimboy, he's one of our graduates. He's actually the senior pastor of the church where I'm, we're part of. Uh, he's teaching a class for us as well, and he has about... 20 uh, in his group, uh, and Devraj in his biblical studies class, he's a, he probably has about um, in the 30s, so um, all that together, so that's, I just kind of know, it, it kind of, yeah, I, I know the classes that I teach, so yeah, so that's kind of, multiply that by, you know, four or five, that's kind of how it's always so exciting because in the Philippines there's always such a hunger and a need for the training and year after year you just hear so many numbers of men and women in the um, lower levels of training also getting to experience just wonderful opportunities to hear God's word and the hunger continues and that's one thing that's so exciting too is Sean Ransom as he leads the team has such a visionary mind and so he's always looking out in how you can capitalize on all those opportunities that the Lord's providing them not just in the Philippines but as Alan was mentioning it's expanding to other countries as well, and there's so many opportunities, and part of that then requires more hands on the ground. And so that's part of what we're going to hear about next week also as we get ready to send Justin and Rebecca um, out to join you guys and another family on the way soon. So we'll get to hear more about those opportunities next week, but it's so exciting to, to have you guys here this week and get to hear what the Lord is doing. So we're going to pray right now and we will close our time. If you have kids that you need to pick up, please feel free to go ahead and grab them. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for just this time with the Lucianos. Father, we rejoice in their personal testimonies, Father, and how you saved each of them out of darkness, Lord, out of hard hearts to enter your glorious kingdom, Father, and even preparing them each to go out. And now, as even Alan was saved and longing for a minister in the Philippines, Lord, to be a part of that very ministry, God. We thank you for how you expand, how you uh, reach people in the farthest corners of the globe, Lord, on different islands, Father, that many of us don't even think about. And yet, Lord, you have your perfect um, hand on their lives, and you call them and bring them to yourself, and you grow them and you shape them to be used as your ministers, Lord, there as well. God, we thank you for Taya, Lord. We thank you for uh, Sean and his team there. We pray that you'd continue to bless the ministry, bless these uh, men and women who get to come through these different programs like Logos and then the preacher's training, Lord. God, we ask that you would continue to um, strengthen them, that they would be uh, driven by a love for Christ and a passion for your word as they see their own lives affected by your word, Lord, that they would desire to see that in the lives of their friends and neighbors of their church. Lord, we ask that you would um, continue to uphold each of these men, for Alan, for Sean, for Devraj, as they teach for their national team as well, that you would cause them to be above reproach, that you would uh, bring them great joy in their families, that their wives would be supportive and um, love to minister alongside their families, Lord. We ask for Sandy in the home, Father, and as she's mentioned, Father, the transition back will be very different this time, and we do pray that you would give her great grace as she helps the boys transition, as she herself personally gets back into the culture. God, we do ask that you would provide opportunities for uh, fellowship, for um, enjoying their church community, enjoying their neighborhood, and allowing opportunities for your gospel to go forth. Father, we pray for Jacob and for Trevor and Noah and Sam, and Lord, we ask that you would work in each of their hearts Father, that you would draw them to yourself, to know you more, to know you in a personal way. We ask that you would continue to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and that they would love ministry in the Philippines, and they would love the Filipino people. And Father, we just ask for your hand on their lives, even as they continue here in the States for a few more weeks. We ask that you would bless their time and give them times of rest, give them times of encouragement as they share with different churches and with the body of Christ here at Grace, Lord. Father, we thank you again for your wonderful sovereign hand. In your son's name, amen.